Did you know that 85% of your engine wear occurs at startup? Yes, that is correct. And this is where Lower the Friction comes in by putting a protective lubricating barrier on all moving parts. This now gives you full-time protection to make your engine last longer, run smoother, give you better performance, and improve fuel economy. People across the country are reporting some very exciting results. Go to LowerTheFriction.com, place your order, and enter in promo code SOS to get 5% off of your order. That's LowerTheFriction.com. sand there's no sound how about now is Hello? there sound everyone should be good look like everything Still was muted there we go all right now we're good I, rose was gonna double up i had everything turned off because i had to add an extra skype source but anyway welcome to the weekly secrets of saturn live stream everyone i am jason lindgren your host Joining me this week, since Wayne is off for family affairs and the Great Baldini is having a very well-deserved rest, Crow and Rose are going to do this with me this week. And we will be talking about the Chinese social credit system. Unfortunately, coming to a town near you sooner than any of us would probably like. But anyway, what's up, everyone? How you doing? Good, good, and gooder. Good, better, best. Where's Rose? Why isn't Rose making a peep? This is the first time I've I'm... ever been on a show with Rose, by the way, I think. No, it's not, Crow. It's, it's not. not. You just forgot. <laughs> I, I was at Woodstock, I think. Huh? Remember when I was on with you guys when we were talking about how Jason's movie, Shoot the Moon, got best movie at the Hermetic oh, Festival yeah. in Dower? You remember? Yeah. Yeah. I had a flashback right there. <laughs> All right. So once again, take a look at uh, LowerTheFriction.com. Help Randy from Houston out. And if you try the product, let us know how you do. We're going to be getting some out to Crow 
Wayne and Baldini, and we're going to see how they do with it. And then we'll all talk about the product, and hopefully you'll check it out too. All right, so let's get to this. Oh, you know what? I did what I always do every week, and I never got a link for everybody, so let me do that. Let me get a link for the document and drop it in here for you. <laughs> the big, before you even roll into this, the big tell is look at all the freaking publishers, man. Italy, Queens College. All the proper scumbags. <laughs> the professor of law and innovation. Then it goes on to say the professor of private law. That's not you and me, is it? Here we go. The Chinese social credit system, a model for other countries? Well, I'll take the zero. How about you? Does that show intent when they're already asking obvious questions like this? Yeah, right. All right, so there's a link in our live stream on YouTube. And let's put it in our live stream on the DLive. Boom, 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 boom. Patel. Okay. Let me know if that wow. link doesn't work, just but it looks good to me. Just looking at the beginning of this. Oh, this thing's a nightmare. I kind of flipped through it real quick. Like, this is, uh, this just is, the wording that they're using. This is insane. <laughs> this is this is truly batshit crazy right off the bat. So, China's um, dystopian tech could be contagious. What do you think of that use of the word? <laughs> wow. With a big old... Wink, no, wink. What's, con what's contagious is evil, because for the system to get implemented, someone has to decide to do it. So, let me get my mic out of my face so I can actually read the document. All right, all right. So this is from the European University Institute Department of Law. The Chinese social credit system, a model for other countries. I think not. All right. Do 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 this is copyright 2019, so it's still pretty fresh. So let's start with the abstract. Many countries know financial consumer credit ratings, and recent years have also seen a proliferation of rating systems in relation to online platforms and in the sharing economy, such as eBay, Uber, and Airbnb. In the view of many Western observers, however, the emerging Chinese social credit system indicates a paradigm shift, oh, they love their words, compared to these former rating systems as it aims for a comprehensive and uniform social rating based on penalty and award mechanisms. By contrast, this paper suggests that the social credit system should be seen a specific incident excuse me, instance of a wider phenomenon. Thus, it develops a framework that compares different rating systems by reference to their drafters, aims, scoring systems, application, use of algorithms, and enforcement. It identifies shortcomings of both low and high interventionist rating systems, and it discusses a range of regulatory approaches and emerging issues that lawmakers should consider. Um, let me start off right, with, right off the bat here with, fuck you! No, we well, should not consider this. Th think about how they're opening. They're, they're trying to normalize consumer credit ratings. Um, they're a corporation. Who made them Lord God Bufu? What gives exactly. them the right exactly. to rate living men and women? And this is going to be the challenge of our time um, as people catch on to the difference between what it means to be classified as enemy of the state, enemy combatant, lost at sea, dead, all the nonsense that we've been covering, or the truth. We're actually all alive and walking on land. In other words, we're all landed living men and women. Uh, so this whole farce 
is going to continue to be based on the pantomime that we're all our straw man identities, basically. So it says keywords, social credit system, Chinese law, reputation rankings, online platforms, law and technology. All right. Well, they're going to use a whole other bunch of keywords if I had to guess. Let's get down here. Now, uh, Rose, what episode well, did we already you, cover you, this you, in? Because I'm sure now. you know. Yeah, 165 and 168. But what uh, page are you on right now? I am jumping down to the introduction, page nine. Mm -hmm. Gotcha. Okay. I just did the little whatever you want to call it. They called it an abstract. Okay. It would be easy to assume none of this could happen here in the West, but the 21st century is not going to work like that. Chinese dystopian tech could be contagious. <sighs> Yeah, yeah, no, no. <laughs> how about no? It doesn't, I mean, it's, come on, man. We're not all high on peyote, dude, whoever wrote this. Um, the contagion is nonsense. That, what, my computer's going to pick it up and start rating me? This requires that the... He just lost 10 points. Yeah, the supposed governance <laughs> has to go along with this and buy into it. So the whole kind of oblique tack they're taking here is completely transparent, and it's... BS. I agree. So when did we do this? I, I didn't even say hello to everyone. Hello, everyone. Okay. When did we do this before, though? Because we did a big thing on uh, on tech. Well, we did something on big data, which would go into this. That was an early one. Uh, if Rose yeah, happens that to was remember episode that. 60. Right. Well, that was yeah, a big deal. I think that was episode 60 or 61. I and remember that was on the that was actually on the back of one of the earliest books to tackle AI and within it is social rating. Uh, and what's ironic about this is if I remember correctly, the book might have made the New York Times bestseller, which usually means it's poppycock. But what this book actually is, is pretty damn accurate so that someone later can say it's not like we didn't tell you. The name of the book is The Age of Surveillance Capitalism, and the author is uh, Shoshana Zuboff, and it's a tome. It's like, I don't know, six, seven, eight hundred pages. Uh, but it, as far as I know, it is one of the earliest in-depth coverages of everything that went on with AI, China, the West, Google, the G-Mafia, all of it. And then we were doing a tech episode later on where we referenced a whole bunch of the stuff with AI and all that. And this is all going to tie together. Why do you think they want their giant uh, 5G web of interconnected Internet of Things? All these things are being rolled out around the same time because they this is what they want. They want a complete lockdown control grid. And what they're probably not going to say in this document that's going to get included is all of the digital vaccine nonsense. All right, let's get into this. We did a this. good episode on the future of technology, too, and it was a while back. So, oh, yeah, okay, so all the way back in episode 139, you were making predictions about the effects of that technology in the future. So it would be interesting to go back and uh, see what's happening. And here we are. Too. Yeah, here we are, basically. Actually, it wasn't much of a prediction because it was going on as I said those words. It just wasn't admitted yet. 
All right. In 2014, the Chinese government issued a planning outline for the construction of a so-called social credit system by 2020. Hi. The implementation of this plan is progressing quickly, and it can be suggested that the social credit system will fundamentally change the life of all Chinese citizens. In a nutshell, its main innovation, once fully implemented, could be that each Chinese citizen will be given a score measuring their sincerity, honesty, and integrity, and that this score will then be a major determinant for their lives. For instance, whether to be able to get a credit, rent a flat, or buy a plane ticket, or being given preferred access to hospitals, universities, and government services. Oh, how about that? <laughs> access to hospitals. Oh, did you cut your hand off in an accident? It's a shame your credit score is only 125. Yeah, exactly. This, this is going, you know, I said it before, uh, that movie Rollerball, not the new one, the old one from the 70s with James Caan um, was absolutely pre-echoing what's going on here. And then what was the other one? What's the dude's name who did Star Wars, Jason? George Lucas. You're talking about THX 1138. Yeah, yeah, TH, what, what's it called? THX, THX 1138. Yeah, that was uh, George's, uh, uh, what do you call it, college film that he de then redid with a bigger budget. And it's very telling. I watched that once so, a couple years ago. Yeah, how, do, how do they know? Um, in, in Rollerball, uh, it all revolves around getting access to this bizarre, weird computer in the end. Um, but if you take it in the context it's delivered, it's spot on for where we are. Because what this basically means is individuality or the value of an individual is out the window because you basically become like an insurance policy number. Like when you call your car insurance, they don't treat you like a human being. Oh, your policy this, and you have this much coverage. Um, they they roll out what a strategy like this would envelop because basically in that world the only people that matter are the executives in other words the executives mm -hmm. of corporations become the kings and queens of the world and there's a hierarchy there too you mean I, know, I can turn it off of, uh... pardon Jason in 1984 Winston says to uh, what's the other gentleman's name? The, the the higher up, he says, you can turn it off, referring to the telescreen. He's like, yes, we can turn it off. O'Brien, he says to O'Brien. Oh, yeah, the, mm -hmm. the guys who are higher up. They can turn they it off. They subject to the programming because, of course, they control the system. Yep. You were saying you know, it just reminds you? me of guys, um, Edward Bernays, and how he used to talk about how they're putting people into compartments, putting people into groups. Basically, people are being identified by the groups that they're in, and then and all they have to do is control the leaders of those groups. And so if you think about it, the executives of these large corporations are the leaders of these groups a little bit higher up on the hierarchy. But basically, people are going to be put into different groups, identify with those groups, and then the groups that they're associated with, they're going to take on that label with their social credit score. Kind of like what we were talking about before, Crow, with um, you know people congregating in chats, like everyone's associated with each other. So already even today, the algorithms are like, okay, all of these people with these certain behaviors are in the same place. And so all of a sudden, everyone's tagged with each other. Right. This goes back, these ideas go back to the earliest idea of networking. Um, but I think it was put together before there were anything like a computer network. If I'm not mistaken, it was to do with a city that had something like five or six bridges. And so the idea was for this mathematician to figure out how could every, every night people took walks in the city. So how could you walk all the way around the city and only cross each bridge once? And this is what is credited with launching the idea of networking. Um, but what was shown after the fact, by the time we get up to now, 
is early computer systems that were using these theories built on the idea of this city and these bridges, which became networking theory, um, that birds of a feather flock together. And it was first demonstrated easily with red and blue Republican Democrat systems and computer mock-ups that were then visualized into dot graphs. And they could show how quickly people that identified with Republicans, hung out with Republicans. That's exactly what you're talking about. So they don't even really need to per se know much about you, only the group you're hanging out in. As far as THX1138 is concerned, I don't think we're sitting around shaving our heads and drinking banana broccoli shakes yet. But, uh, you know, if they tell everybody it'll help defeat the beer bug, everyone will be shaving their heads and drinking banana broccoli shakes. Could be. It remains to be seen, you know, what the half-life of this nonsense is. Um, hopefully I outlive it. I would hate to have to end my life watching people wearing face diapers. That would be pathetic. Yeah. All right, continuing. In this Chinese government program, the notion of social credit serves as an extension of mere financial scoring systems from elsewhere in the world, given that the Chinese social credit score will consider a wide range of personal factors. It also resembles, but goes further than, a range of systems that are intended to increase the prominence of reputation in relation to transactions, online platforms, and in the sharing economy. In addition, the Chinese initiative will cover both companies and individuals. Well, they're kind of the same thing, aren't they, according to the law? The latter is more novel and more controversial, given the prevalence of ratings for the former in the financial sector and in fields such as corporate social responsibility. Oh my god. That stuff is just HR departments out the wazoo. That's what I'm seeing here. Thus, we focus here on rating systems concerning individual persons. This paper is motivated by the fact that it cannot be assumed that what happens to China stays in China. The social credit system already applies to foreign workers and companies in China and possibly also to all overseas Chinese and ethnic Chinese, regardless of their place of residence. In addition, it can be observed that China's economic, political, and ideological influence leads to a general diffusion of Chinese law. Writings about Chinese China's Belt and Road Initiative, the Beijing Consensus of Development Assistance, and the impact of Chinese investments in Africa show that China's influence abroad is not merely of an economic nature, but that it increasingly shapes law and policy elsewhere. Well, Crow, we already that, know this, don't we, because of Darwin, well, Australia. Well, this is poppycock. Yeah. The way that they're framing it, they're acting like it's a good idea, so it's catching on, and that's actually not what's going on. They use the Silk Road as an example, and this book was written, I don't know, almost 10 years ago now. It was one of the earliest ones at the gate. So what they did is they went in with all their capital because they had a crap load of money, and they started saying, oh, we'll put in infrastructure, we'll build you new roads, we'll give you a train, we'll put in networks. Um, but by the way, um, now that you're on the hook and you're on the dime and you owe us, uh, we're going to put all these other things like social rating. And so that's actually how it's been implemented. In other words, it's no different than the government of the United States, where there are people walking around today that think they're actually free, that they actually vote for a president, and that there's actually a real government in Washington, D.C., when in fact we all know that it's a corporation um, and that we are all classified as enemy combatants. So it's it's being implemented in a similar way. We all ended up in this situation because the other government, the previous government here, went broke. So you and I were all securitized. We became a way to try to pay off the debt or to secure the debt in some way, I guess you could say it. And that's exactly what China's done here. They go into places that are dirt poor, they use money, they get them on the hook, and then they force all the rest of it down their throats. 
Well, if KL is correct, this country has always been broke since the original Revolutionary War. Right, but it goes to show you that there's there's an overarching assumption in the world that we live in now that somehow you can't be a godly free man or woman and engage in commerce. There is an idea, for whatever reason, whether it's right or whether it's wrong, that if you're going to use money and systems and cars and inventions and stores and systems that you can no longer hold on to your I was born with the divine spark godly no one tells me what to do except God idea you give that all up so the question becomes is it a, an excuse to take control of people that it's this way or is there some reality to it in other words Tubal Cain invented blacksmithing art music so are we trying is the lesson here that if we have blacksmithing art and music that somehow we're separated from the idea of godliness that's the main underlying question, and that answers whether or not um, we, we could have a world where we act like righteous human beings, and it doesn't matter whether we're engaged in, in, in you know, spending money or commerce. Well, Chris, the answer to that is that if it's immoral to be engaged in commerce, then what does that say about the idea of operating both in the private and the public as a remedy? This is a problem, and this is where people like Kurt and Clint Richardson, um, and I have very little problem with most of what Kurt's laid down other than how can people right now use this to benefit or to get out of issues they're in, where I had a number of issues with, with Clint's, some of Clint's foundational things, but what they're saying isn't wrong. So the idea here is, I mean, if we're going to hand around fiat currency, which has no value and pretend that it does, well, that's a separation from righteousness. On the other hand, if I needed bread and I gave someone a gold coin, which has intrinsic value, does it relieve me of that kind of evil? Um, and by the way, that's also the definition for usury. If a gold coin has baby coins, that can't occur in nature. So clearly that's evil. That was always the measure of why usury was a mortal sin. So there, there's the problem, um, and I can't answer it. Um, does this mean you go back to an agrarian lifestyle and you have a Garden of Eden where you can go out and eat, and that's the only righteousness you're ever going to find? Or is there some balance where commerce can occur? Um, but I think we all really know the answer to that. As long as people are making money in any way, there's going to be greed, and once that enters the picture, righteousness is out the window. It may, of course, be argued that the social credit system is something that should be seen as not a model, but as a counter model for other countries. We seek to provide a critical, but also nuanced and measured assessment against a backdrop of typical Western responses, which simply dismiss the social credit system as Orwellian and a general lack of any critical debate on the topic in China. In particular, this paper will also address the predominantly Western debates on the importance of reputation and grading ranking and on the power of algorithms, showing that this new Chinese system can be seen a as a specific instance of a wider phenomenon. Even more so, as reputation-based quantitative tools have become established in the West, the social credit system may tell us something about their evolution in Western countries or even the future of global normative orders. Boy, they're getting a lot of keywords in here that are, have now been thrown around since the beer bug started, eh? It's all just workarounds to act like they're being objective when they're really not. If you look at the social rating systems as they exist now for places like online purchasers, Amazon, or even Uber, what actually happens 
is you've chosen to use their service. Their service rates you. The people providing the service can see your rating. So there's the whole thing in a basket. If that person can see your rating and doesn't want to take the risk, they don't have to do business with you. Period. End of sentence. Anything beyond that becomes a control system. And to try to dismiss the people who are calling it Orwellian, uh, let's point out the obvious here. This was implemented in a communist nation where the people have zero say. The Communist Party snaps its fingers and things happen quickly. There is no chance in hell that this kind of system could have been put together in a place like the United States or probably even Britain or other places in the, with the same speed and um, lack of interference. And that's just the facts, Jack. So when you take these things apart to their basis, why is there a need for social rating that's punitive, which was one of their main definitions here? So it's based on punishment and reward. As they went on, the reward fell out of their definition, and all that was left was the punishment. So if you've got a rating everyone can see for the business you want to do business with, isn't that already the system working? They can see who you are, how you've been rated, and whether they want to do business with you. Anything beyond that, it seems to me, is just control. Seems to me like people are things are implemented here into the masses, just like it would be in any other country, whether it's communist or not. But here, there's just the illusion of choice and the illusion that we have a say. But people are just slowly brainwashed into like accepting it and thinking that they had something to do with it. Well, there's there's a whole other story behind how communism kept a hold in China, and our State Department had directly to do with it, and it can be demonstrated that they took actions to ensure that communism didn't die when it probably would have died. Uh, but what's more is everyone doesn't realize where these Chinese systems actually started. These Chinese systems started in the summer of 1997 at a picnic in Silicon Valley. There is the genesis of Alibaba, of Tencent, which I believe is one of the biggest corporations in the world now and certainly has more data than anywhere else in the world because it runs everything. In in China, where, where, we, where we have a Facebook and we know they're sharing the data, there is no separation between anything. It's all on a Tencent platform. Or I might have that backwards. I don't. I think it's Tencent. There's three of them. Baidu, Alibaba, Alibaba. Yeah. and yeah. Baidu. Right. Baidu. So, so those are all interconnected, but it's not just interconnected. The same Facebook-like thing that people are using that no one sued them for by the way, they took the tech out of Silicon Valley. No one sued them to replicate it. Um, the hospital is using it. The police department is using it. The government is using it. So you can see the all-encompassing intent here. So why in the hell would anyone at a party, uh, a picnic in 97 in Silicon Valley, take all that tech that would normally be followed by lawsuits if someone stole it, like look at Microsoft complaining about all the Chinese knockoffs, and how can we police this? Well, the exact opposite happened here. They queued it up, they cloned all the tech, they gave it to them, and they said, hey, you communist people who can do whatever you want, go implement this stuff. That's how it actually happened. Yeah. Accordingly, this paper is interested in a number of overlapping research questions. To start with, how can we understand both the Chinese and Western systems by reference to their drafters, aims, scoring systems, application, use of algorithms, and enforcement. Is it then the case that the social credit system is based on a unique, strongly interventionist logic, or could there be mixtures between the Chinese and Western models? 
NDEF reputation and rating systems consolidate in Western markets in a similar fashion, what opportunities, features, controversies, and pitfalls will arise? And how could lawmakers intervene if this happens? The corresponding structure of this paper is as follows. Part 2 maps the general debate about reputation ranking and rating in the West, setting out salient features of its history and credit scoring and related systems, and identifying the significance of reputation data for online business and the sharing of or peer-to-peer economy. We conclude this part by considering certain controversies regarding such data and setting out an initial framework for analysis. Then part three explains the operation of China's social credit system today as well as likely future developments. On this basis, part four compares and evaluates both of these systems, identifying shortcomings of low and high interventionist rating systems and assessing a range of regulatory approaches. Part five is the conclusion. You guys handle this for two seconds because I forgot my water next door. I did it too. I'll get it next. Um, gosh. What do you well, think, here, that, Crow? Here, here's what I would say. Um, this is just a big veiled double speak. This is news speak. Um, do you see mm-hmm. the problem with asking what are lawmakers going to do? So let's actually frame it back to what we can demonstrate is true of both lawmakers and the people putting these models together that will socially rate everybody in real time without human intervention, by the way, AI will be doing all of it. In other words, you'll get a text message that says you just lost five points with no possibility of you complaining, or it's like YouTube now. Um, If they pull a video, most of the time, there's no way to dispute what they've just done. And as we get further down the line, less and less interaction between the people they're policing and what they've done to them can be addressed in any way. The truth of it is, is that corporations are doing this because they can and because it gives them a lot of power and it lets them secure yeah, markets. and with all that data, they can tell the future. So when they are not, able not to just tell the, the future, though, but not just the future, Rose, think about who's making the laws. That's another corporation under the guise of a government. So basically, it's the fox guarding the fox, guarding the fox who built the hen house, if you think about it. But right, um, the data allows them to predict accurately what will happen next year. For sure. I think we lost Jason Dell. Why don't I keep reading this here? He'll be right back. So what should we go through with the reputation ranking and rating here? A short history. Although the identification and dissemination of reputational information has formed an important aspect of the 21st century e-commerce and sharing economy business models, the concept is certainly a more established one. The best known is probably found in the financial sector, where the rating of the creditworthiness of companies, institutions, individuals, and financial instruments, example bonds, has a longer history and has progressed beyond narrower single-purpose origins to becoming a key component of global financial governance. And when I noticed the use of the word bonds there, and I just thought, oh, the channel. We're the financial instruments, right? Well, there's, there's even some dishonesty in all this, because when I was young, mostly the people that were credit rated um, in any meaningful way that was common and in everyone's face were the big companies. Um, they had to take loans. They had to get a rating. And, you know, a private household didn't have this even in in part of their mind. Now, you could go get a loan, but back in the day, it wasn't necessarily the credit rating that got you the loan. It was if you qualified, you've got to make this much a year. You've got to be able to make, you know, it was more 
a demonstration that you could handle and follow up on the loan without defaulting. That when I was young, that's how people bought houses. It's a hundred percent different now. Now it's wholly driven by this credit rating. And as I pointed out earlier, um, you can't credit rate a living Dude, man you're or a woman. Out a lot. I'm cutting out. Yeah, I don't know if you were for everyone else, but I just had a hard time. No, he didn't. Cut off. You. Jason, did you hear Crow? He's fine. Uh, oh, you know, that's oh I think I'm the one that's static. Yeah, Let me turn were, off my camera. You were cutting out for me earlier. Yeah, your camera's been cutting in at it anyway. You might want to just go voice. Okay, yeah, screw it. But the point is, um, in my lifetime, this has changed. And in that paragraph, they're acting like it's been common for living men and women to be under credit ratings of some kind. And in the 60s, 70s, and 80s, when you bought a house, for the most part, you had to demonstrate you made enough money and you could make your payments, and that was the deciding factor. All right, so moving along to part two, reputation, ranking, and rating. A short history. Oh, I already read this part. She just I read that. Oh, okay. down to In Lauer's History. Yeah. The top in Lauer's History of the Development of Consumer Credit Reporting and Scoring in the United States since the 19th century, he emphasizes the development of an information infrastructure in finance, including shifts towards a quantitative basis throughout the 20th century, and computerization and the application of statistical methods to risk and creditworthiness from the 1960s onwards. Other significant developments include the emphasis upon individual scores in the late 20th century and continuous monitoring and surveillance rather than simple blacklisting, or as Pasquale puts it regarding the 21st century, the move to a scored society in place of mere credit scores. These developments sit within the longer trajectory towards increased access to information, which has, since the 18th century, driven fact and theory-based approaches to issues of finance and credit in respect of individuals and companies, and attempted to neutralize irrationality and misunderstanding and replace uncertainty with an assessment of risk. The increased involvement in mainstream of mainstream banks and credit scoring from the 1960s onwards has also supported an algorithmic-led approach to risk and the likelihood of repayment. Now, credit scoring itself is incredibly biased and works against us in every way, shape, or form. Just, just the normal credit system, let alone talking about all this insanity. Well, the other, the other thing I would point out is anyone who can't put together that the credit rating system is just another way to boondoggle people. Like, how is it that you can go get their app and your, your credit rating will go up 15 points? That proves flat out that it's based on nonsense. But how many people were alive near the year 2000? Uh, my wife and I were living in Lemon Grove, California, and I personally knew people who had been given loans on two, three, maybe even four houses. One guy I think I used to know um, had four houses. This is when the largest property swap probably in the history of this country ever went on where anyone who would belly up and sign for a loan, they would give a loan. And then what followed was all these foreclosures and the taking back. So not only did they foreclose on the new loans, they foreclosed on the ones they couldn't keep up behind them. So where was the credit scoring there? Where was the measurement to see if you made enough money to be backing all these loans? What they actually did is they used the writing of loans to basically cripple um, the society as a whole. And in my view, everyone remembers the housing crash. We've never recovered from that. That was the line in the sand between 
my parents had a house, so I can probably inherit a house. Maybe I can buy a house to the majority of people without very wealthy parents. They're going to rent for most of their lives. It was a huge, huge weaponized idea, but it also proves if this credit rating was going on, where was it when they crashed the housing market? It was, was nowhere to be seen. Okay. Credit scoring has also developed in the UK and across Europe, although different legal and cultural approaches to data protection have meant that the pace of change has been different. Corporate transactions, such as the acquisition of Experian, formerly TRW, a major player from the computer age in the US, by Great Universal Stores, a UK-based mail-order retailer which had developed a successful credit scoring function of its own, have promoted further convergence. These financial matters form part of a broader trend. Classification systems and the urge to classify have deep roots in human societies, but were a major feature of scientific and capitalist development in the 20th century. They are ubiquitous and built into every aspect of social and commercial life and combine social organization, moral order, and layers of technical integration. The late 20th century also saw the rise in popularity of key performance indicators, league tables, and the like as part of the new public management revolution and a shift towards the production of performance information with regulatory or quasi-regulatory purposes. Well-known examples include assigning core research funding to universities in the United Kingdom and increasingly elsewhere, and the evaluation of federal government programs in the United States. The economic impact of prizes for contemporary art and the grading of restaurants has been observed. You know what bothers me? Just seeing moral <laughs> order and the technical, what were the, what was the words up there? It was like moral order and technical something. Those things don't belong together because that's what it means to be a human. You don't need technology to establish moral order. Well, you'll, you'll notice there's something key missing here um, and you can find it in the things first Things that sentence. make sense? <laughs> it's a major feature of scientific and capitalist development in the 20th century. What's missing from that? Human beings are not just materialism, which is what science has become and what capitalism is. They're both hypermaterial. So the spiritual concerns or the value of a living man or woman are completely cut out of the equation here in the example they're using. Mm. In other words, they're going to the ice box and saying, look, the whole world's frozen. Well, I got news for you. Not everything in the world is in the icebox. That yeah. is it was technical true. integration. Technical integration and moral order do not go together. It's lacking in the human element. That is very true. <laughs> moral order. <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't that remind you? What was that? Um, in the, in the birdcage, the the dads was part of the uh, coalition for moral order. Uh, that's you don't a, remember? a little on the crazy side. Yeah, that's what they called it. Like it was, he's like, the, he's, he's the, the, guy, uh, the guy who was part of the Coalition for Moral Order was uh, found dead in bed with a black prostitute. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was a poke in the eye, as Crow might say. Right. <laughs> Reminds me of that old Dave Chappelle where they're having Eddie Murphy's older brother do the things and he keeps saying, oh, yeah. well, then I went out and partied with all these guys because my brother Eddie, he didn't do that. <laughs> where, where was Eddie? <laughs> well, he was picking up the transvestite, remember? <laughs> Rose, I thought I had a picture of you on this computer, but I guess I don't because your, your icon is not transmitting over Skype for some reason. 
Oh, well, I'll figure it out. All right. For individuals in labor markets, we see schemes such as quantitative approaches to determining the promotion of civil servants in the European Union. In the last year alone, new developments in the UK include a requirement imposed by competition and financial regulators that financial institutions provide information on how likely customers would be to recommend its services to others, and a proposed extension of a scheme attempting to measure the quality of university teaching beyond institutions to individual subjects described by the responsible minister as akin to the financial services comparison site Money Supermarket. These calculative practices, which render previously incomparable elements visible and comparable, while mostly focused upon institutions rather than individuals, normalize the collection and communication of data in this fashion and allow for more effective methods of presentation and analysis. As well as highlighting the benefits of an objective approach, contemporary versions of credit scoring and new public management also have in common a tendency to collect and analyze data at a relatively centralized level. That is, it is the credit scoring agency or the public audit authority that is gathering data, albeit from multiple sources, and providing advice or at least aggregated and sometimes ranked data on the performance, solvency, or quality of the data subjects. In other cases, however, the score, whether concerning an individual or an institution, will simply reflect the data submitted by users of a given service, whether that be regarding the service provider or, as in the case of certain online businesses, other service users. All right. There's there's so many issues with just little key points that they try to glaze over. Like, think of using the words labor markets. Is that really what we are now? We're labor markets? Think of... Think of, i got to be careful, use the pseudonym Jay. We interviewed Jay today, um, who's a registered nurse. And you can't really, for the most part, just go to a hospital and apply for a job, which most of my life, that's what people who are going to be in the medical field did. They went to the hospital. Now there's a recruiter. They're literally like in a market that you could say is a labor market now. But as it goes on, it points out that any of this that had previously gone on was focused upon institutions rather than individuals. You know why? Because it's immoral. And to take that a step further, because nobody has an authority to treat living men and women in this deplorable way, um, to reduce you to so many beans counted in this pot, which will determine whether you can live or see a doctor and these kinds of things. So this this whole document is pretty much a underhanded scrub to act like they're objective while they're basically trying to say this is coming and there's nothing you can do about it. Oh, they're, it they're seems like, really pushing that, yeah. It seems like the medical workers are just kind of being pimped out by large corporations in the same way that actors and actresses used to be pimped out by the um, production companies before they became, you know, so-called free agents. It, it just, like, I, I, I have a friend who it was a nurse and, you know, she kept saying they, and I'm thinking, who is they? But they would, uh, they moved her from San Diego because there wasn't enough work in the ICU. And then they moved her to Cottage Hospital and there wasn't enough work in the ICU. And so they had to move her. I don't know where she is. She's in like the Dominican Republic or Costa Rica right now. Such a farce. Well, it's complete control. When you're contracted in the way, um, like we talked about today, where there's a recruiter, there's a contract. Um, and the, the episode that's coming up, what's it going to be? Two seven five, Jason. The one we recorded today. Yeah. Two seven five. I think it's two. Yeah, I think it's two seven five. When episode two seven five comes out, 
it's not even the main story that we're telling. Um, but when you realize how uh, total control has been taken over a person's life to use a professional career, like an, a registered nurse or any other professional career, to actually have to contract in now. And what's more, in the example that we recorded this morning, they had a contract agreement and then the place tried to breach their contract by using bully tactics, fear, and threat of loss of income. Uh, it's unreal what's going on here. And I would point out this can't go on forever um, with the except It could go on for quite a while if everything crumbles to hell and everyone creeps around like a bunch of cowards and just keeps getting kicked in the gut and letting it happen. Uh, but in my view, I don't think that's really what's going to happen as we go into the new era here. But my point is you can see every facet of what it means to be a living man or a woman has come under attack and moved you slowly into hyper-materialism where every, every facet of your day is controlled. I gotta get up, I gotta go work for this employer. I have to take a drug test for this employer now. Oh, I gotta cut my hair because the employer said so. Now I gotta wear this new uniform. Oh, now I gotta sign a contract. It goes on and on and on. Um, and I think there's a shelf life on these things because they're really kind of indefensible if you get back to what a living man or a living woman actually is. They're more valuable and more precious than to be treated in that way. By the way, we got uh, firsthand confirmation once again that the bear bug is not a pandemic. No pandemic conditions existing. Yeah. Should, should we sing the song? Uh, we actually got firsthand <laughs> that they are laying people off, closing hospitals down, um, we should write a song. Oh, poppycock. Oh, poppycock. <laughs> uh, let's see. Do I still have the link to the document? I see people are asking. Give me one second. I'll find it again for everybody. What's the document? This one? This document. Yeah. I just need to. I closed it out. There it is. All right. Let me plop it down again for everybody because we got a lot more people in since we started. There you are. Let's give it to DLive again. What's up, Bears? Good to see you all. Boom, 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 boom. By the way, Rose, did you tell the Bears that we are on the Great Bear Trail that we signed up? Yes, we signed up and we are offering free coffee to any Bears on the trail. That is what we are bringing to the table. But I think I need to amend that because I would like to make a perfect snack. Coffee and conversation. Oh, well, that goes without saying. <laughs> I can see it now. Here's your cup of coffee. Hold still, push play. <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't count. From eBay to Uber and beyond, the success of eBay and related sites has long been attributed in part to the way in which a platform has become trusted by users and how well understood information asymmetries are handled and countered. Trust in a sales platform is said to be a combination of payment security, reliable and affordable schemes for dispute resolution and, of present interest, trust-building measures like the mutual rating system, which allows for online reputation. Let's stop right there. Who Let's... in the world does a, 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 a social credit system benefit? Because as sure as shit is not us, the common people. It's, it's just, for the greater good, Jason. Yeah, it's. Just I, I don't see how this is for anyone's nobody, good whatsoever, except a government body of some sort. It actually doesn't directly do them good, other than it gives them the same abilities, like ensuring people can never get wealthy or accumulate wealth, 
or transfer wealth to their children, which will be wholly what digital currency is about. By the way, part of what's being built into the digital currency is the stated idea that you will not be able to have a savings account and not be able to push money forward to your children when you're getting ready to die, these ideas. But look what it's talking about here. It's not only apples and oranges, it's freaking kumquats and damn mandarins. They're so different. Um, this social rating system that made it famous is exactly what I said. It's no different than you. A person comes into your house, they get drunk, they throw up. You're probably not inviting them back because you're not too happy with that. Other people come into your house and say, you know what, that's a sucky thing that person did. Let me help you clean up. You're probably inviting that person back. This is the eBay system. Person bought a thing, paid for it on time. Person sold a thing, shipped it on time. Everyone's happy. Um, that is a far cry from what they're trying to push under the current here. Right. Uh, when they push people over. It's almost swapping that television that you wanted to buy for a human being. It's that kind of abusive. And these kinds of systems do make sense in a online commercial environment because this is a, a far, far away place from where we would have been a hundred years ago, where everybody in the town knew each other. The only thing you had that would have been from a distant thing is if you were ordering something from that giant Sears and Roebuck catalog, like the house that you were going to build out in the range. Well, there's the big difference here is you're not being rated. All that's being done is the transaction is being recorded and reported. So that's it. There is no kind of we're going to come fine you or penalize you in some way. And there is no, oh, we're going to reward you. All it is is a person sees what's happened and says, oh, I'm down with that. I'll do business here. Or they see it and say, eh, I'm not going to do it. And if you think about it, when you combine all those comments like places like Amazon, when you go to Amazon, what's the first thing you do? You click on the stars, right? Now, do you read the five-star reviews or do you read the one-star reviews? Which one of those two things do you read first? So actually, if you consider the totality of the current rating system for commerce online, what more do you need than people being able to state their experience, and half of that's faked anyhow, um, and to record what happened? Oh, they didn't ship this on time. Oh, this guy didn't pay for it. What more do you need? That's exactly the thing, though, is that you could also have you could have people create incorrect or untrue or, or you know give ratings just to sway these things. Exactly, we see it all the time in Amazon. Um, you, you you know you start to get a nose for fake reviews and the star system, but you know the difference here is that they control the platform, so they could, if they wanted, insert fake reviews to prop someone up or knock someone down. But think about when the entirety of the rating system is owned by the so-called government or the lawmakers or whatever the hell they want to call them. Because basically what they pointed out in the beginning here is that a rating system goes across all other rating systems based on all the things they said, algorithms, this thing, that thing, and the other thing. So now you're back to the same problem that we've always supposedly fought against called monopoly. Um, monopolies are bad. Nobody needs to have it proved to them. As a matter of fact, how many people can remember the antitrust lawsuits for Microsoft in 1998 or 9, I think, uh, when they put a browser that could not be removed from their operating system, thereby killing Netscape, uh, hmm. which started as Mosaic, one of the earliest things. And Netscape actually wins. They Microsoft loses the antitrust lawsuit for the monopoly. And guess who went away? wasn't Microsoft, it was Netscape because the damage had already been done. 
and that is a direct result of monopoly once again. Well, that shows you what the power of money can do. If, if you got enough of it, you can throw your weight around and fend off the courts. It's what they did, actually. They kept screwing around, shifting where the court, when the court, and they just bled them to death. Yeah, that's um, what big companies always lost, do because they can. They, yep, they destroyed, the, they destroyed Netscape. Uh, which was actually a better browser by far, by the way. At the time, it was my first tech job, so we had to create all this code that would work in browsers, and it was brand new. We were doing all this for the first time. I made some of the first video ads to ever go in like a banner ad for places like National Geographic. That's what I was doing. I was a video engineer. We were pumping video down phone lines at three frames a second. But when we had to test all the things we were creating, Netscape, it almost always worked. Where it always broke was in Microsoft because not only were they a monopoly, they were so big they didn't even care whether their stuff worked very well. So what they would do is make a browser that didn't conform to the W3 standards, WC3 standards or whatever it was called uh, for HTML at the time, and they would release it. Everyone else who had a small business or a smaller business and who gave a damn about their product conformed. Um, so you can see exactly what Jason's saying here. Money and monopoly are a nightmare for the consumer. eBay's reputation system, where buyers and sellers rate each other with comments published for all to see, was added very shortly after it began business in order to address allegations of cheating. It became an established feature of the site and is still in operation. Indeed, the different aspects of trust are interlinked as, for instance, a failure to engage with the dispute resolution process affects the reputation of a user. Moreover, a user's ability to trade in the future will be affected by their score and feedback, and therefore by their earlier actions. eBay's system has seen high levels of participation, with traders with positive reputations found to be more likely to, su to succeed in selling items on the platform. It also allows eBay to exclude from the marketplace users with very low ratings, and justifiably so. And if you do happen to get one, one bad rating after, I think, six months or so, it falls off because obviously you didn't continue the trend. I don't really have a problem with, with this system, generally speaking. Here is where I have the problem, though. If something happens and someone does something to screw you over and they give you a bad rating, God help you to try and deal with it and fix it. Because if somebody just wants to go out of their way and be a complete troll tool bag, you're not going to get rid of it. I had it happen to me a long time. I forget how many, like 10 years ago or more. Uh, a dude lied to me about something and I couldn't deal with it. They just said, oh, well, too well, bad. This, this is the two problems that are obvious on the face of it. Um, they're trying to normalize the idea of rating things but again does anyone need to be told there's a huge difference between rating a television or a corporation and then rating a human being those yeah, two dude, things are, are not equivalent but there's there's another problem here if everybody's going to be rated then how is it that the rating system doesn't get rated because that would be the only way to police the rating system is that if everyone's subject to the rating system could then rate the rating system and get the similar effect um, you see, you see the nature of what's going on here. Yeah. I mean, just the whole idea of ratings takes out the human element. If it was a case by case basis where a human was, um, using their discernment to determine if the person who's using the marketplace did something wrong or not, that would make more sense than just having people pushing buttons like one through five and no human element to observe why that low rating occurred. 
You can't and this have is just a, a metaphor for what could happen in society with people just rating each other instead of looking at it as an individual, unique experience. So what is missing, Rose, if you had to say what is the important aspect of life in this world when you remove the human element? What, what have you completely removed from the system? Um, empathy, compassion the righteous ideas of what it would mean to a man or woman to be righteous, correct, true, honorable, godly. I could think of a million adjectives right now. That's what's got to be removed from the system um, because the system is cold and calculating and finds no value in anybody. It's simply a, it's like a corporate policy. Nobody stops to think, um, does this corporate policy, should it be applied here as it was there? No, it's the policy. We apply it every damn where. Um, and that's what's going on here. So in a sense, you could almost complain, you could compare this to spiritual warfare in a sense, because it is absolutely removing what it means to be a human being out of the equation and then punishing the human being as a result. Absolutely. Well said. Well, once again, we have the problem of what if someone in the governing body or bodies decides to just put something in your file? Well, what are you going to do about it? And that's going to affect every single thing in your life when you're talking about a system like this because it has far-reaching consequences. And if you're talking about China, it has everything to do with everything in your life. And that's it. If someone wants to screw you or you piss off the wrong politician or whatever it happens to be, you're in a whole heap of hot water. And what are you going to do about it? How are you going to get that out of there? How are you going to fix it or change the, the, the score? You're not. I, I, mean, I would – I would actually take that a step further to show just how bad it is. The the lady who wrote The Age of Surveillance Capitalism, the book I was referencing, which is one of the first kind of complete looks at the digital age and published before even most people are technical on any level, she pointed out a thing that I knew to be true without ever being told because I worked in a place where there were co we called them code heads. They were basically engineers writing code, all right? In that office there were a limited number of people who could go into the code library and understand what the code was doing because they couldn't write code or read code. So basically what this lady pointed out was I was, she said, I'm going to go find out who's writing the AI. And what she found was it was such a kind of private hardest club in the world to get into small group of mostly white men. And then it ended up being mostly Chinese and white men who were writing the concerns of a world into their code with seemingly no oversight, or for that matter, the ability of the people who were supposed to be overseeing them to even understand what actually went into the code. In other words, a manager above a code writer could say, all right, the code needs to do this. The code writer goes, writes whatever he wants, and then assures the manager it's there. The manager has zero possibility of going back into the code to ensure that's what was done. Um, and this is just one of, of many problems. You know what this reminds me of, guys? Um, being held in contempt of court, like the idea of a judge just being like, oh, I don't like the way you made me feel, so I'm just going to say this, and it's going to implement like, something on your record. And it's almost like this is being expanded out into the entire realm of okay. commerce. And it was like it was just an initial rollout in the legal system, and now it's just going to spread everywhere. I'm sorry, Your Honor, you're acting without honor because a court can't show emotion and therefore there is no contempt of court. <laughs> this is Good the point. whole problem. We're going to act like a fiction is real um, and a fiction is not real. And by the way, this is all driven by code and it is all driven by AI. No one should miss the point. 
there is not a corporation in the world with enough manpower and woman power to even start to police a fraction of one city in the United States. This all has to be done by AI. Uh, look at Google as the example. Um, do you think that even a fraction of 1% of the video on Google ever gets reviewed by a real person as they're assuring you? For that to be true, there would need to be a million video reviewers just to get a fraction of a single percent. Google doesn't do anything about anything anymore. People can say the worst things about you, the biggest lies, and <laughs> you're not going to be able to talk to anybody. They don't care. So that's just, and, and they're the best well, example because they, they are a, a, a mega, mega corporation. That's not, if not for, they're saying something that helps them. If, if you're going against the agenda, then the person who's saying bad things about you is doing them a favor. But if you are, you know, pandering to the agenda, then anyone who says something bad about you will be taken out. Well, Google says it's actually worse than that because you've already been grouped being countered and socially rated on the, on the Google server. And that's also done by who shows up in your chats and, you know, the channels you're sub to, the people who sub to you, the channels they're sub to. It's the whole thing of networking all over again. But my point is, is you know damn well that if they have a low view of what you're doing in their mind, uh, do you think you're going to get any redemption if someone's beating on you? you oh, know, no. They're going to do two no. things. They're going to open up a window, look at your rating and their system. You know, early on, we caught them doing this. This was all the way back in the Lunar Wave days where... I was looking at metadata and header code from one of the early Google pages. I think it must have been 2013. And um, I had a friend who, who was a serious hacker at the time, too. And I just happened to screenshot because something had gone wrong. I don't even remember what we were doing, but I was trying to look at the source code. And I screenshotted it. And it, it had my username, Crow777. Then it had two or three numbers. And it said Hero. And then it had another string after it. And we realized he went out and screenshotted some other things. We found other usernames with other words like um, sheep, um, some other things. And we realized that in the string of code back then, it appeared that they were rating you with words like hero and sheep and, you know, troublemaker. And, and it's, it's insane. Um, it was not too long ago when you could actually get back into source code and screenshot and see that that was going on way back then. So if that was going on then... Uh, what do you suppose going on now in the uh, pandemic world? And there's one more thing we could say about this before we move on. You already have a credit rating of some sort uh, that, that's very corporate. By giving you a social credit rating, they're literally treating you as a corporation. This is, this is one more thing to tie right. you into your straw Perfect. man identity. Perfect. And so what it further means is any person who could generate enough wealth to be their own bank. In other words, say you say you worked hard and you put three hundred thousand dollars into precious metals. So you become your own bank, right? You need money. You trade the metals um, and you never ask for a loan ever again. If you want a car, you pay for a car um, that completely removes you from that system. So now go back to digital currency, uh, which of course has to go through the air and the air age or the ether. Um, so the digital dollar, the cryptocurrency of the United States, um, as we've said a number of times now, will try to ensure that savings accounts become a thing of the past and the transfer of wealth from parents to children become a thing of the past. And that's the reason 
Because if you can build up a few hundred thousand dollars, you can become your own bank as things stand now. We are having... Let me see if this helps. <clears throat> We're having bandwidth issues, so I'm going to kill my camera too. See if that helps. Can I just come over there so that I'm not on Skype over on this computer? Uh, well, it's probably not helping that we're both on Skype from the same thing, but anyway, let's just keep moving on. Am I dropping out? I'm hearing like little bits of it, which is what I'm concerned about. So I'm just going to try this for a few minutes, see if it works. Yeah, it's it's okay. Then it's dropping. Then it's okay. Then it's dropping. So I killed my camera. We'll see if this this kill that 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 takes a lot of bandwidth to run a camera. So, all right. Present-day observers note that online trust encompasses digital social capital and various means of certifying and validating market participants. This, however, draws upon a longer history of identifying the reliability of individuals. Lauer highlights how, how credit systems, which valorized character and hard work rather than social standing, were an important facilitator of the emergence of U.S. consumer capitalism, while Hacken and Lev Aretz point to the more recent use of big data and the analysis of online social footprints as a proxy for character, which in the history of credit scoring is seen as a reliable predictor of the ability and likelihood of repayment. Unsurprisingly, the overlapping developments in reputation, big data, and the analytics and internet-driven business models lead some to conclude that we now live in a reputation economy where reputation is an asset. You know, it's interesting that they bring this up because what's the one thing that the internet is used the absolute most for? Anybody guess, boys and girls? It'd have to be social media, wouldn't it? Well, I'm going to guess pornography. Oh, well, yeah. you. Not anymore, though. I would. I think that maybe that was the case at a certain time, and then now I think social media has surpassed that. Honestly, but I could be they're, wrong. They're both what do you right think, up bro? there, no matter. Well, what. I think yeah, maybe in right today's day and age, but the internet certainly proliferated because of pornography. I don't think that can be argued. Oh yeah. And my whole yeah. point and behind bringing this up: technology increases. Yeah. Right, but my point for bringing this up is because you know damned well that somewhere these people know what kind of porn you're looking at and what you're into and all that kind of stuff and how much you look at. If they are even remotely taking that into account for a reputation score, uh, to, to, to be funny and blunt, you're fucked because well, that, they can, that, they can yeah. judge you however they want to judge you based off of your sexual preferences. That will be part of it because uh, as yeah. that book was written so far ago, they made the bold statement that everyone in the United States already had a social rating because China was scooping the, da the data on the open Internet while they walled off the Chinese Internet. And what's even worse is most people can't read Chinese characters. So even if the West could get into the Chinese Internet, they wouldn't have an easy way to deal with all the data. But take apart the first thing you said, excuse me, in this paragraph. Present day's observers note that online trust encompasses digital social capitalists by various means certifying and validating them as decent people. But you see, we, we can also demonstrate that these big companies like Google are actually doing the opposite. In 2017, in the fall of 2017, I think it was October, they deleted Crow 777 on YouTube. I think at the time there was somewhere in the neighborhood of 100,000 admitted followers. Um, hackers and black hats that I know assured me that if you multiplied that by 10, it would be closer to the worldwide breach. But listed was roughly 100,000 users. What happened was 
they took it down and everyone started saying, oh, you got to put up a new sign. I said, like, hell, I will. I will never be kicked in the nuts that hard and then asked to get kicked in the nuts again. I'm done. Three weeks later, for whatever reason, and a lot of people argue about it, the, the Crow 777 on YouTube was put back. Um, and meanwhile, they had put up an unsubscribe button when my channel was deleted. So I think it was 20,000 people less uh, when it came back due to all the unsubscriptions that replaced where my channel was. Here's the point. Day before they deleted my channel, 16 to 20 million search returns on the name Crow 777. The day they put me back and the day after, a friend of mine who is a hacker, a very good one, we searched all over the world using proxy servers and other methods to do a search in Germany. And we found that doing a search on Crow 777 returned roughly 2,000 returns. So from 16 to 20 million down to 2,000. So we took a step further. We started to search the term lunar wave. And even back then, it would still return, depending on geography, maybe a million returns. The moment you put lunar wave and Crow 777, so you'd search lunar wave, get, say, a million point two returns. Then put Crow 777 on the end of that return, it would go down to 5,000. So the whole idea of what they're trying to claim is true is provably already been undermined by the companies that control the data. As the sharing economy or collaborative economy emerged as the latest internet phenomena and business catchphrase in recent years, the role of reputational systems has also been obvious. The sharing economy purports to be based around interpersonal relations and seeking an alternative to functional, cold, and impersonal relations engendered by capitalism with authenticity, authenticity and trust. Consequently, all major economy platforms, such as Uber, Airbnb, and TaskRabbit, and indeed precursors such as Couchsurfing, make use of a combination of scoring and feedback systems. The availability of a community of users familiar with eBay-like feedback schemes and social media services, and the technological innovation that facilitated reputation-based services on earlier sites is a factor in the rapid adoption of sharing economy services. Indeed, the wider economic shift towards peer-to-peer -peer provision, and indeed the reshaping of labor markets in the gig economy, continues to see reputational information emphasized as a key component of the model. How is reputational data used in these contexts? An obvious example is ride-sharing services where drivers and passengers rate each other. A driver with a comparatively low score, the aggregate of passenger scores, can ultimately be removed from the platform or restricted to providing a more limited range of services, while a passenger is more likely to be picked up if they have a high rating from past drivers. Passengers' ratings were formerly not visible to passengers or required effort to view, but a 2017 change meant that a passenger sees their own rating each time they use the app. Airbnb feedback often includes detailed accounts of visitor experiences, with hosts having the opportunity to add their own comments and reply. A good reputation score for a host means that their accommodation may be returned at the top of such uh, of search results. Okay, well, so let's break that apart right there. Here's the thing. This is both sides holding each other accountable. With a governmental regulated social score, it's you against them. You can't go against them. They're just going to say what they're going to say and rate you as they rate. It's just like your credit score. How hard is it to, to try and fight back if they, something is messed up in your credit score or something's not fair? Tough toenails, you know? 
Right, you can't. And by the way, they're already undermining. The banks have already decided to undermine this whole system. I see it on my site now. Um, someone wants to be a member of Crow Triple Seven Radio. It's basically seven bucks, and we constantly see the banks turning it down, stating they are they're not willing to take the risk. Well, so much for reputation. You can go through the entire history of Crow Triple Seven online, and you will never see one fight that's ever developed or anything that wasn't resolved immediately. And part of it is because we're not talking about a lot of money. If someone's unhappy, you say, sure, here's your $7 back, or you're cool now. Um, and it doesn't take much. I mean, it's not like I'm selling cars or something. It's a very small amount of money. But in essence, one of the last things the Federal Reserve just did, if it's still around, some people think it's not, is they gave the banks the authority to turn down any digital transaction or any digital wire. Um, and that's no joke because I've already seen it twice. I got a check sent to me from London, somewhere in London, from a big bank like Barclays or something. And when I went to deposit it at the bank, they all made a big hem and haw of I go, what? This is a check from a big bank. What's the problem? They said, oh, just do this, 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 this. Well, make a long story short, after something like two months, I get notified that the check was not cashed, that it was returned because it was signed improperly, and that the interest had been charged against my account for a check that was never cashed. And meanwhile, every day when I log in to look at the subscribers, we see cards being turned down left and right. Um, as a matter of fact, they can the, the banks will no longer let anyone use a debit card or a gift card or a pre-charged card. Um, it's ridiculous. So you can see what's going on here. The banks don't give a damn about any rating system because they have the power to stop the transactions now if they choose to. A good reputation appears to be correlated with an ability to demand higher prices, though there is variation between how the strength of reputation is measured, for example, mean score versus number of positive reviews. Another example of the use of reputational mechanisms is gamification, where platforms build in tools inspired by the mechanisms developed and perfected within the computer game sector for other purposes to incentivize good behavior and drive active participation and engagement over a longer period. Such tools, which are also being used in other sex sectors, such as education, include progress le between levels, the collection of points, and the availability of rewards. <laughs> All right. Regulating rating and reputation systems. What is the role of the state and of various means of legal control or oversight in the systems discussed in the above paragraphs? In a limited number of cases, state authorities have initiated schemes that purport to rate individuals, albeit on a simpler basis of passing a threshold rather than a comprehensive rate ranking. For instance, some countries use a point-based immigration system. Another example across many European states is the introduction of penalty points as a method of enforced road traffic law alongside or in substation for the more conventional means of the court system. These penalty point systems have been limited have seen limited development. They are, for instance, normally confined to single states. However, the value of such data as an indication of the reputation of the, of the data subject for various purposes has become clear. In particular, car hire companies can choose not to rent cars to drivers who have exceeded a particular limit of penalty points. Man. Uh, all right. 
Anyone got anything or shall I continue? Continue. In other cases, and more characteristic of the development of these systems in the countries discussed in this part, the nexus between the state and rating and reputation systems is through acquiescence and encouragement. Acquiescence and encouragement. Oh, my God. Yeah, you want to do this (laughs) because vaccine. Rather than the system being managed by a public authority, while consumer credit scoring has predominantly been a private sector activity, it has certainly benefited from ostensibly unrelated aspects of public administration, such as the creation of a unique identifier for individuals in the U.S. for Social Security purposes. Boom! There is your corporate identity once more being brought up without them blatantly saying it. Public bodies engaged with the financial system can also play a role in standardizing the use of private data through the exercise of their functions. More generally, the private rating of bonds, there it is again, bonds, has long played a role in public finances, including statutory requirements. All right. Yeah, Jason, uh, when you were gone in the one paragraph that I read, they were mentioning bonds right next to the phrase financial instruments. And there you have it. That's what we all have levied against us. States also play a key role through forbearance, especially beyond higher profile systems such as credit, the nature of many sharing economy business models where licensing or registration is absent means that heavy emphasis is placed by users on the quality of reputational information provided through the platform. A related point is the type of liability attached to the very act of ranking, reviewing, or rating. U.S. law generally takes the approach that a view on creditworthiness or a review or even scoring of a service is an opinion protected by the First Amendment as an aspect of freedom of speech, while minimizing exposure to defamation claims has long been a concern for the credit rating industry and for non-sharing online review sites alike. Finally, it really. Oh, sorry, go ahead. Finally, where there is concern about the implications of rating, there will be the possibility of the introduction of a regulatory regime or the application of more general provisions. For instance, credit scoring is also the subject of specific regulation in the U.S. and the body of data protection law in other jurisdictions. Calls for greater greater regulation in other areas and the basis of criticisms of the status quo in rating and reputation-based systems are discussed below. All right, so... <laughs> well, this just is the decimation of morality. If, if Mark Passio was here, he would say that this is so satanic and how moral relativism is just running random. It's not about what you're doing. It's about everyone's opinion of what you're doing. So it's not about what you're about what your behavior is actually doing, but it's the opinion of it. It's crazy, dude. Well, think think of the underlying things we can look at that are not really arguable. Like, was this all planned in advance? Is it possible that when ARPANET, long before anyone had ever heard of the internet, was put together, they'd already worked out a lot of this? So let's ask a simple question. When the web first came out, pretty much it was .com and then shortly .net and .org, and I think EDU was one of them. But .com was the lion's share. Does anyone know what .com stands for? It's commercial. Yeah. So commerce was planned from the beginning. So it wouldn't surprise me as we get down the road here with all these things we see that pretty soon you'll basically have to have an online passport you want to do something online you've got to identify yourself um secondarily you want to own a dot com you better be involved in commerce and all these types of things are about to go on i would surmise all right we're going to run out of time here so let's jump down to section three 
China's social credit system, and reputation ratings. Preliminary considerations. The websites mentioned in the previous part are rarely used in China. Airbnb is available, yet eBay and Uber have been unsuccessful in entering the Chinese market, and many social media sites are blocked, for example, Twitter and Facebook. Thus, Chinese citizens rely on the specific Chinese providers, which also implies that the Chinese government may, in principle, be able to get access to the corresponding user data. You bet your sweet ass they have access to everything. Well, the book actually points out why this is true. When you want to do business in China, you have to sign over the intellectual property and everything has to be on a government controlled server. That's why they're not telling you the truth there. Um, and by the way, the reason Facebook and Twitter aren't making it is because the guys in Silicon Valley in the summer of 97 gave them the tech to make their own versions of these, which are all part of Tencent and Alibaba and Baidu. That's the truth. And it is an open joke now that to do business, to get into the Chinese market, you literally have to sign over your intellectual property, which is really the only value any business is based on, mostly. The previous part also discussed the use of financial credit rating systems in Europe and North America. The People's Bank of China, which is the Chinese central bank, has established the Credit Reference Center, which provides both commercial and consumer credit reporting based on credit information made available by banks and state institutions regarding social welfare payments. The resulting reports are important for anyone who applies for a bank loan, yet these reports do not provide an actual rating of the creditworthiness of businesses and consumers, though this may change in the future due to the developments discussed in this part. The Chinese social credit system has received extensive coverage in the Western press, where it is often described as a big data-driven comprehensive rating of all Chinese citizens. However, this is a misleading characterization of the current situation. At present, three different models operate. China-wide blacklists, compliance scores by pilot cities, and social credit scores by financial institutions. All right, so that's, that's that. Let's see. Well, they're they're, they're soft pedaling again. Yeah. At the opening of this document, it pointed out that all these things they're acting like aren't affecting everyone would be nationwide by 2020. This document came to be in 2019. So again, you see the dishonesty and the intent, uh, the authors of this document. The social credit system and the use of China-wide blacklists. Give me one second, guys. I hear crickets. All right. The crickets are done. The introduction of the social credit system by the central government has a potentially far-reaching effect, yet the China-wide measures that implement it are so far rather specific, namely using blacklists, as this section explains. The social credit system aims to address not only the financial creditworthiness of individuals and companies, but also their sincerity, honesty, and integrity. The initial discussions of the early 2000s put this in context of the objective to support the transition to a market economy after China's ascension to the WTO, which is the World Trade Organization, by the way. For example, the need to combat commercial fraud and IP infringements. 
a 2011 decision then also referred to matters of social and political morality as points of concern. In 2014, this was followed by the State Council's Notice Concerning Issuance of the Planning Outline for the Construction of a Social Credit System 2014-2020, to which forms the basis of the development of the social credit system today. This document mentions the aim to promote integrity in governmental affairs, commercial sincerity, social integrity, and judicial public trust, which shows that these measures are targeted at individuals, which is the focus of this paper, as well as companies, judicial organs, and other governmental authorities. It also explains that the ultimate goal is a uniform social credit system based on penalty and award mechanisms, presenting this idea in a general sense with no references to quantitative measures in the collection of online data. This is about as dishonest assessment as I've ever seen. This this paper was put together in 2019. Uh, let me see. I've actually got the book right here. I'll tell you the published date of it right now, um, which proves that the data is available to other people. Let me see here. It is. Doesn't it seem like they're talking about training dogs or training 20, farm animals? Yeah. January 2019, the first month of 2019, the first edition of the book I've mentioned a couple times was published. So let's cut down to brass tacks. What's actually gone on was when the research for the book I mentioned was being done, um, they outlined how AI was a problem. And this is also dishonest because how can it be that in 2014 you're going to aim to have these systems which require AI by 2020 all in place across the whole country. So it means you've got to have had the AI long enough to make it work um, when back in 2014, they don't even have AI that works according to what they're telling us. The, the grand chess master is still beating AI, uh, supposedly, back at this time. Now, as it goes forward, <clears throat> one of the problems they have in China is all these cameras that are picking up the faces. Um, since Chinese faces are very similar compared to other parts of the world, because there's not as much ethnic diversity, hair color, eye color, face shape are a lot more similar. The AI couldn't identify people. So the, one of the ways they got around this <clears throat> is they already had the AI up and running. They put the AI on cameras. They put kiosks around a city, and they said, we'll pay your bills for this month if you go smile into these cameras, which crap loads of people apparently did. What they realized was to identify a Chinese face um, with so much similarity throughout the country, they needed the micro-expression, which is why the people had to smile. Within 72 hours of launching this, the AI was able to identify a human being from a CC camera in the city or otherwise. The reason I'm pointing this out is because they're saying nonsensical things like commercial sincerity, social integrity. Um, all these catchphrases that are not honestly portraying what's gone on here. The truth of it is, is now you can be ID'd all over a city because of what I just described. So when you're crossing a, seat, a street and you go against a red light, a text message comes to your phone that says you just lost five social credit ratings. Early on, they kind of defined the things that you could lose. But one of the things they didn't mention anywhere in this document is your interest on on everything goes up as your rating goes down the interest on every loan on everything goes up and at some point it won't do it but what's more is some of the things that you could gain points and here's one of them a heroic act would get you 35 credit points positive credit points 
but nowhere in the world was there a definition of what a heroic act was. So when you begin to see how Orwellian it actually is with the data available early in 2019, um, this, this is a whitewash. This whole document is not honestly assessing anything. And it seems to be basically just interested in pushing the credit rating idea forward into the West. I don't know what you guys think. Maybe a heroic act is uh, calling the cops on your neighbor for not wearing a mask. Or having too many well, people over for Thanksgiving. That's a fucking hero if I ever saw one. Well, there's there's another part to this, too, because they openly stated um, what the definition of being mentally unsound was. Um, one of the definitions in China is anyone who goes against what the government tells you. Um, that could put you in the in the nut house for being unstable, mentally unstable. But these are known things. Anyone who does the most minuscule amount of research can know just how Orwellian what we're talking about is. Um, this document's a whitewash. The specific penalty mechanisms that are already operational aim to enforce the blacklists of persons who have violated the law. They are implemented and enforced by different government authorities. The process started with a decision of the Supreme People's Court on public blacklists of persons who defied legally binding judgments, but there are now also many further blacklists compiled by other authorities. For example, the Ministry of Culture and Tourism lists those who have violated transport rules, such as smoking or carrying prohibited items. I wonder what the list for the Ministry of Love looks like, Crow. <laughs> I don't know, Winston, but we might find out. Room 101. Subsequently, ooh, I hit a button. Subsequently, a degree of centralization has taken place. A central website makes the names of the blacklisted persons publicly available. There is also now a system in place that requires cooperation of authorities in their sanctions. The Joint Punishment System. Oh, that just what? sounds great. Oh, wow, that name. <laughs> JPS. JPS. This wow. means that a violation of the law can lead to a variety of sanctions. It may start with a fine, but the perpetrator may subsequently be banned from flying or using high-speed trains. It is also possible that these blacklists have implications on private law relationships. While Chinese business persons may merely care about their own profits and therefore be willing to do business with everyone, the recognition of blacklists by financial institutions can mean that blacklisted persons may not be able to use the funds in their current accounts in order to purchase a car or other luxury excuse me items so you so, can't buy and sell if you buck the system in china right well they're kind of whitewashing again here because one of the examples cited was they have a lot of bikes in china to try to cut down on the air pollution if you have a high social rating system you can jump on a bike anywhere in the city and take it all day long uh, as long as you put it back at some point during the day if you have a moderate social rating system you have to pay and you can only use the bike for a couple hours. If you have a low credit rating system, you can't unlock the bike. Given the severe consequences of these blacklists, it is provided that individuals need to be notified in advance. There are, well, isn't that kind of them? There are also some internal review proceedings. For example, the State Administration of Taxation, which has its own system of blacklists, has a credit repair mechanism that provides correction of or relief from the blacklist under certain conditions. See, I bet there are. Moreover, in principle, there is also a right to appeal to court. Yet observers have been skeptical how far these legal safeguards are uh, effective. Oh, come, come on. Yeah. I mean, what's it called? It's not the whitelist, right? <laughs> I mean, what are we looking at here? 
it's pretty clear what we're looking at. So let's jump down to financial institutions providing social credit scores. Financial institutions have also been allowed to create schemes implementing the social credit system. I like how they call it schemes. It seems very appropriate. Many of these pilots consider a wide range of information, including social network data. Thus, it is justified here to talk about schemes measuring social credit and not simply questions of financial credit. The most influential of these schemes has been Sesame Credit, developed by Alibaba's subsidiary Ant Financial Group. It evaluates the creditworthiness of firms and individuals with a model of smart business, which captures information automatically and then evaluates it with algorithmic tools in real time. In detail, Sesame Credit scores each user on a scale of 350 to 950 points based on five sets of information. One, financial credit records. Two, behavioral trends and commercial transactions. Three, available assets and personal information. Four, behavior and preferences. And preferences. Aha. <laughs> what did I say a little while ago? Hmm. And, and five, is. social relationships, which ties into the previous one. As Sesame Credit is a smartphone app linked to Alibaba's mobile payment system, Alipay, it is clear that it accesses the phones of its users for information gathering. Well, no shit, Sherlock. Apart from that, it is not transparent which tools and algorithms are used. It doesn't matter. They can get inside your phone. and Well, they can get inside everything because in China, is a complete lockdown. And by the way, those same Chinese companies are making the things that are in your iPhone. Haha. <laughs> in particular, this applies to the broad categories 4 and 5, where rumors are that factors are considered such as excessively playing video games cheating in online video games and a frequent change of address which is considered a negative and donations to charity having friends with high sesame credit ratings and polite behavior on social media which is considered a positive uh, how interesting so let, let let's ask a, a couple of no-nonsense questions so is anyone familiar with culture in china at all um they've had such a long culture and there are so many things that are amazing about chinese culture and they're rightly proud of their culture. And so almost everything to do in Chinese culture is picking some part of that very long and pretty incredible history uh, to foister it up. So let's take a look. What are they calling these new systems uh, that are going to take over the world and going to control every facet of their culture? One of them is Alibaba. Where does that come from? Is that Chinese? That's Thousand and One Nights, Arabian Nights, right? Right. Sesame, open sesame credit. Rub the lamp. Ollie, look at this. Ollie Pay, A L I. Uh, come on, what's going on here, man? There's a whole story in that alone, but I figure I'd just point out the obvious. The consequences of a high Sesame Credit rating are far-reaching. To start with, as this rating is provided by a financial institution, users with higher scores have better access to easy forms of credit. In addition, many other companies also consider the Sesame Credit rating through an agreement with Alibaba. For example, a high rating may mean that such users do not need to pay a deposit for renting a flat, a car, or a bicycle. A flat is an apartment, by the way get faster check-ins at hotels and airlines and are displayed more prominently on dating websites. Oh my <laughs> God. And users may also yeah. disclose a high score as a status symbol elsewhere, which apparently many do. Check out my huge rating, baby. That's 
That is so crazy. As you were reading that before, I was just thinking to myself that those who have higher social credit ratings are going to be able to live a different kind of life, and they might even start viewing themselves as superior. Well, of course they are. Create this, this is more divide and conquer nonsense. Absolutely. The Chinese state is also not completely unconnected to the Sesame credit rating and Alipay. On the one hand, for example, a high rating can make it easier to secure priority access in hospitals or a visa for overseas travel. Okay, now that is complete and utter bullshit. First come, first serve when you're in a hospital situation. But no. On the other hand, Alibaba forwards non-compliance of payment obligations to the government while also contributing to the implementation of China-wide blacklists through blocking certain transactions using Alipay. What were you saying before about uh, having trouble with transactions on Crow 777 Radio? Uh, there, there it is. Um, the banks are going to step up and they're going to police whoever they want for whatever reason they want. And you've got to imagine there's something behind it. Do you think they'll just be randomly causing trouble for people? And then the whole comment about hospitals, isn't that more of a nightmare in a society where everybody's sick? Maybe not so much a big deal if everyone's healthy, but wow, they're really going to use that against us. It really makes more sense why they're just keeping everyone sick. Now they're going to control it in this way. What, what's all the movies they're putting out these days and have been for a while about people buying body parts to enhance themselves? Um, and if you can't pay the debt, someone comes and takes that body part back. Um, these are the kind of Orwellian things where this goes, but I'll, I'll say again, um, all this stuff has a shelf life. Just hopefully the shelf life is not a hundred years. You were the just renting that walking... Yeah, exactly. That's exactly right. And by the way, you missed a payment, so we're taking that kidney back. Because you don't own anything in this Orwellian future coming, remember? Everything's going to go to a rental system. That could include organs. Ah, Blade Runner's coming, huh? Everything. Everything. If it gets that far. In early 2018, however, the People's Bank of China decided to withhold a renewal of the licenses for these private social credit scores. There is some speculation about the reasons for this decision, for example, that Alibaba and others may have got too powerful, that they have stated collecting too much personal and social information about their users, and that they may face conflicts of interest as they also benefit commercially from their customers. Well, no kidding. It also seems that the PBOC now believes that it is a good time to design a new consolidated credit rating called Baihang Credit Score to be developed by a public-private partnership between the PBOC and eight private financial institutions. At present, it is not yet clear how this new system will operate. For example, it seems that the Sesame rating is to continue for non-credit purposes such as the bike rentals, visa approvals, and dating websites mentioned above. It is also too early to say whether the new Baihang credit score will be more focused on financial credit as the PBOC's involvement in the Credit Reference Center may indicate, or whether it will incorporate the wide social credit approach of Sesame Credit and other commercial ratings. Okay, so they don't have it all completely perfected yet. Doesn't matter. They already know what they want to do. Like They, they know what their end goal is with this crap. This seems a little disingenuous. And disingenuous. There are plenty of examples cited where Westerners, others, even Chinese people started like an ice cream business or something else, and it became so successful that the Chinese government basically just takes it uh, from them. There are plenty of examples. So I would ask a simple question. How is it possible under a communist regime when all this was planned from the beginning in 97 uh, and the shores of California tech centers to do this whole thing? 
that they're not going to renew the licenses, that somehow it was out of, out of hand. I think it's all just smoke and mirrors. All right. Let's see. We're running short on time. What needs to be dealt with? The social credit system and Western values. Most Western commentators resolutely reject the Chinese social credit system, and damned well they should, right? The words frequently used yeah. are that it is a tool for totalitarian surveillance. Yeah, uh, that, that, that's a good way of describing it. An invention of the digital totalitarian state, that it is worse than an Aurelian nightmare, a meeting of big data with Big Brother, or indeed a meeting of Orwell's 1984 with Pavlov's dogs. Act like a good citizen, be rewarded, and be made to think you're having fun. Okay, I completely agree with all of that. Yes, bad. However, understanding the social credit system as merely a tool of state surveillance misunderstands the diversity of the current system in terms of management, but more importantly in terms of functions as outlined in the previous sections. Still as a more moderate form of criticism, we may also identify problems such as the confusion between conflicting objectives and corresponding problems of construct validity, problems of data reliability in particular as regards the measurement of soft factors, and the risks of a monopolist system lacking competition with corresponding risks of corruption. So you're going to defend <laughs> it, and then you're going to say there's a risk of world takeover. <laughs> I mean, it's yeah, the opening lines were correct, and everybody knows it. The, the real pity here is that all these things we've been reading about are whitewashed low levels of what's actually been going on, and it's been going on here. Um, they've been collecting the data. They've been doing whatever they want with it. And it's the same reason as it is for the AI guys. No one can read the code. Nobody understands tech at that level. There are very few people who can even begin to fathom how data mining at that level even comes together. And what's worse is then you have governments who are interested in what the data can give them. Well, we can know this thing. They don't give a damn how, how it was known. They just want to know. And so what's actually being alluded to has been in full swing it just can't be out in the open but look what's happened here in 2020 how many things can we point to that two years ago never would have been accepted out in the open that are not just out in the open now but we're going for round two and three of these things that were just such a short time ago unacceptable um you can see what's going on here Another frequent reaction is that the Chinese social credit system is incompatible with Western political and cultural values. It should be against everyone's yeah. cultural and political values. Let's just say yeah. that outright. For example, it has been suggested that it may be suitable for an authoritarian political system, but not a liberal democracy. Only the former system can be openly paternalistic as inherent in the social credit system, and it may also be linked to other forms of control of personal behavior used by the Chinese government and associated with a Leninist idea of social management processes, such as the records about the performance and attitudes of citizens and the household registration system. Another factor may be that there is widespread skepticism about how far China has embraced the rule of law. Thus, as far as this is doubted, it can be said that the social credit system would be problematic in the rule of law societies of the West as it lacks transparency, as it disrespects the divide between law and politics, and as it is not needed due to more effective law enforcement anyway. Can, can you imagine even <laughs> having the nuggets to write that first little bit there? It may be suitable for an authoritarian political system. Well, <laughs> 
if you can tell me when authoritarianism is suitable, yeah. then we can have the conversation. <laughs> in my lifetime, it used to be, you're so lucky you're an American. Look at those poor commies over there, and now look where we're at. <laughs> this this may not work for us yet, yeah. but it's okay for the authoritarians. Yeah, they're calling they're calling slavery a cultural preference, basically. Yeah, exactly, basically. Yeah. Cultural differences may also be relevant. As some of the mechanism of the social credit system uses forms of shaming, it may matter that in China, shame is said to be an effective means of social control due to the desire to maintain harmony in relationships as opposed to the rights focus of Western countries. Why don't you have a mask on? Where's your mask? How about that? Does this make sense, people? As Western societies have... what? Go ahead. I was just laughing. Um, you know, all the footnotes we've been passing. <laughs> go ahead. Go ahead and finish this. I'll, I'll read a couple of the footnotes or footnote sources. Yeah, I see all those there. As Western societies have lower thresholds as regards to the feeling of intrusion. And as in China, there's lower trust towards strangers with corresponding higher trust in close networks of Guangzhou. Guangzhou? I think it's Guangzhou. Guangzhou. A trust-building instrument such as the social credit system also seems to fit better with Chinese culture. I call poppycock. You're just uh, not able... Th these poor people are just not able to get rid of your bullshit, Winnie the Pooh. This may also be seen in existing legal rules. The concern regarding data collection by states or the use by states of data collected by others highlighted in 20th century abuses has long informed the development of robust data protection legislation in the West, especially in the European Union, whereas data protection and privacy legislation in China is fragmentary at best. However, fragmentary, <laughs> fragmentary. <laughs> I mean, let me cite a couple of the footnotes. That, so all through this, if people have been following along, there's footnotes. Here's footnote. Here's the or not footnotes, references to the documents that were supposedly used. 132. The title of that one is "Worrying Implications of Social Credit Project in China Invents Digital Totalitarianism." Um, Valuable you are as human futurism. See also Orwell's Nightmare. <laughs> China's Orwellian social credit store. It isn't real. <laughs> it goes on and on. Every one of these things is just, it's, it's a clown show, man. Okay. Let's see. We are really short Should on time. Should we compare? <laughs> <laughs> let's see. Let's check to see what, what's important to get out here in the last couple minutes. Comparison, evaluation, and regulation. Should we compare? Some argue that for scholars from Western countries, Chinese law remains a mystery that they cannot appre apprehend. Don't you mean comprehend? And that any sense of understanding may be a mere illusion that tells us more about the Western legal culture than about the Chinese one. Thus, at least, authors from the West ought to be cautious in the way they can access Chinese law. However, China has also transplanted a large number of legal concepts from Western countries in recent years. That's because they like making money. That's, Thus, that's hmm? a big Freudian. Step. That's because it's the People's Republic, not the Living Man and Woman's Republic of China. That's what there they borrowed. Go. There you go. Thus, it can also be noted that contemporary Chinese law may, in many respects, not be fundamentally different from its Western counterpart. Poppycock, and that in both China and the West, we have to understand how legal rules co-evolve with political, social, economic, and cultural factors in order to understand how law works. 
For rating systems, a similar dialectic line of reasoning can be applied. On the one hand, as we have seen, the rating systems developed in the West have clear limits in their interventionism, while it is possible that in China a fully interventionist system will be implemented in the near future. Thus, it seems that in comparison, this unification of the various elements and their seamless operation would be a great innovation, or in any case, unique as compared to anything that is happening in the West. Yeah, it's unique, oh, my right? God. Oh, my God. I mean, the, the front <sighs> part, I, what do you even say? Well, if it's not good, So basically, we just stepped in dog crap, but that's okay because it's new and we've never seen dog <laughs> crap before. It's like a, its own little snowflake. All right. Oh, God. Let's see what else we got in this document. Anything we want to get out here? Well, I always like skipping to the end. The complexities of regulations ratings. The Chinese social credit system has been accompanied by a large volume of legislation and other policy documents. For example, a recent article lists 15 pages of documents produced by the central government and other public authorities, and there are also many provincial and municipal pieces of legislation discussed later in the section. The majority of those rules are about the technical operation of the social credit system, which is not the main focus of this paper. Thus, before returning to aspects of the current Chinese law at the end of the section, we start with the way some of the more general policy considerations have been addressed in Europe and elsewhere in the West. All right, well, good for you. The European Commission deems online rating and review, sy and review systems as an important safeguard for sharing or collaborative economy platforms, especially in the absence of the relevant information or, in some circumstances, the inapplicability of consumer protection rules. Law enforcement authorities have long recognized the valuable role played by records gathered in the private sector. Consumer credit agencies in the U.S. often provided cooperation and present-day intelligence and policing functions make use of data collected for private sector internet purposes, whether for an internet connection or an online service, or obtain it through interception, all of which typically goes beyond what a state can gather through its own resources. Oh, yeah. Let's take Facebook as a good example. You... How many people just willingly give away how much of, of their lives on a day-to-day -day basis? It doesn't, it doesn't even make sense. How, how many people remember the original uh, rating system that was used on YouTube? It was stars, right? Yeah. Was there four of them or five of them? You five. could give someone from one or zero to four or five stars, however many it was. And for some reason, that had to be changed. Now, think about a data-driven society where there are five pieces of data that actually six that could be collected um, or one or actually two up or down but here's the worst of it if I'm not mistaken and I forget now I haven't looked at it so long the thumbs up or down was originally a Facebook thing so that should have been copywritten right uh, that was ported over no problem but you can see what's gone on here um, people dug in to see why the correlation from stars to thumbs up or down was made and it was all about control because it was rare for someone to get no stars. Um, and so what they did is they forced you into the positive or negative stance so that it's impossible to see any video that is 100% good. Whereas in the star rating, um, it was very rare to see a zero. But if you go, go back and look up some of, the, some of the studies done on why that switch was done, and that again uh, underscores why so much of this is nonsense. It's, it's saying one thing while we can observe another. All right. Do we really need to go further through this or think no. the point has been made? They Let's... are wanting to do this everywhere in the world. 
And guess what? It's bad. But, <laughs> but it's actually not true because if you look at all the citing, if you go through all those little reference tags, almost every single reference that I came across was a negative view, and they're even admitting that most people in the West don't want it. And I think that's actually true. Um, and so what they're trying to do is start to try to normalize it and make it seem like it's something it's not. I, I would almost be willing to bet that if you went out to a few thousand people and polled them, uh, you would find very few takers. Well, until they tie it in with all the other nonsense, man. You, you know that, that the beer bug is all about consolidating it, like we did last week with the Great Reset. This is all a consolidation in a, in a digital format for a complete and utter digital control system. That's what this is. It's an attempt, but I would point out to people that right now it's easy to look at the world and think only bad things exist and that only bad things have power, and that's actually not true. Do you think that every general in a high-ranking military position has no concern for what his great-grandchildren are going to face in this world? Do you really think that's true? Now, it's pretty clear someone's making a hardcore run at things, but I would point out to everyone it's no different than the document we just read, where the, the tone and tenor of the document was to try to whitewash and normalize and make seem acceptable what is absolutely the opposite of acceptable. But when we scrutinize and look at all the referencing, almost every single single document linked to pointed out that people don't like this. And this is no different than what the evening news is doing. The evening news is saying whatever the hell it wants to say that has no reflection of the true hearts and minds of living men and women. And they say it so often and so glaringly that becomes the perception. All is not lost here. We're going into a new cycle. A new age is right around the corner. And we can all contribute to that age. And I'll say it again. Nature proves to us that this nonsense that's surrounding the world, it can't go on for the simple reason that anything that is built and is sturdy needs a true foundation. And guess what we're missing here, guys? This is all based on lies and shenanigans. And that tells me flat out that whatever structure is built on that can't last. So I think we need to be careful and not fall into the dark pit of despair and begin to realize um, do you think everyone in the world is just okay with this nonsense and think about people in high positions that have a better view of that person who only watches the evening news and here's the last thing I'll say the great conjunction is apparently picks up its next programming or its next way things are going to be a lot from the world mind so look how hard the news is pushing fear, be afraid, <clears throat> be hopeless, um, be all these negative things into the world mindset. I suggest we should go the other way um, because think of what we just recorded today. A person saying they felt like David and Goliath and Goliath was about to crush them and they simply held their position. And at the end, they were the Goliath and what they were calling Goliath was and they were the David you know the Goliath they were afraid of was brought to heal with not that much effort I mean well let's is. let's discuss that for a moment as to why the why is because a contract was signed and then the the bad guys tried to change the deal well they're not Darth Vader they can't pull that one off things were signed and guess what in their world that is law it is, but there's there's more to it. That like I, I can't wait till you guys hear 275 because 
this person wrote a document based on the affidavits and the other law series we did, and the document she submitted wasn't even in affidavit form, um, but it is so genius in how she does it. I'm not going to spill the beans, um, but I would imagine people are, we're going to provide this document. She made it available. People can repurpose it and actually turn it into an affidavit if they want, but it shows the level of ingeniousness of a human being who's centered and foundationally wants to do good things in the world and wants to watch out for their family. Took on a whole corporation trying to bully and fearfully scare them and threaten them that we will take your livelihood. And she stood her ground. She brought them down. Not only did she bring them down, they offered her a renewal right on the tail of it. And didn't she even say a raise? She got a raise in renewal. So not only did they bow, but they realized she was someone not to be screwed with. Yep. Um, and so I'm just saying, man, all is not lost here. And is it possible we'll go through years of nonsense that nobody wants? Yeah, that's a possibility. But it's also possible that this house of cards come tumbling down next week. That is a possible thing. And I'll say it one more time. There's not just evil people in the world. And even the people who aren't the nicest people, they too have children and grandchildren and don't want bad things for them. So let's just sum up what's going on here. This has all been driven by lies and by deception and by media saturation and by every untruthful way that we can point out. That's how all this has been done. So I'll ask you a question. Would you switch sides? So they appear to have the power. Would you want to go play on their side? I wouldn't, not for a second. Um, Their house of cards is coming down at some point, no doubt in my mind. All right. Well, that's going to do it for this week. Do you want to talk about the episode being dropped at midnight, Eastern Standard Time? Yep. We're going to put out episode 272, which will be Ken from Genstone to University's second in a three-part series of law. Um, And by the way, KL, who was very popular, will be coming back very shortly. KL will be providing documents to everybody. And get this, believe it or not, to the membership, a contact email. Um, and so these are big things, but the real big thing is KL and Ken and Alphonse and some of the work Kurt's done, we're starting to see people in agreement with not only the method, but why it works. And so that's really been a big problem. A lot of these legal guys were not getting along with the method, but what we learned is there's a lot of ways to skin a cat here. So what we did is we went over what's effective, what's been working. And I think we're getting somewhere. And I don't know what you think, Jason, but by the time they get through this version of Ken and the next one of KL, I think we're going to have taken people somewhere and real options on the table. Well, the whole law thing definitely was the undiscovered country maybe six months ago or a year ago, but we're getting somewhere. I think I think we've done some mapping now. And I think we've got a long way to go, but I do think that we have... Uh, made some progress in understanding things yeah the only thing yeah the only thing i'm gonna say is don't do legal things unless you understand 100 percent why you're doing it how you're gonna do it where it's gonna be done don't play games don't poke Um, the bear unnecessarily because you just don't know whatever problems you're facing could be a hell of a lot worse quick um, because the truth of it is you don't even know what jurisdiction you're in and whatever jurisdiction that is, you currently have zero standing. Right. And until you understand these things, uh, you can be treated like a corpse, which you will be, by the way. 
Indeed. All right, so Wayne couldn't make it today. I just want to let everybody know that Wayne McCroy is an author with three books out, The Alchemical Tech Revolution, Fulfilling Ancient Esoteric Agendas Through the Use of High Technology. The second one is The Autism Epidemic, Transhumanism's Dirty Little Secret, and his brand new one that just came out uh, not even a month ago, I think, Cybernetic Messiah, Building the Antichrist System. He also has his... Uh, YouTube channel called Alchemical Tech Revolution. Alchemical Tech Revolution, but he has another one too, doesn't he? Well, oh, he ha- he has files from the Conspiratorium, but that's on Facebook. Yes, and of course, the Great Baldini has his channel. Uh, unintended consequences. unintended consequences, right? And you will be doing the Poppycock Report, episode fifty-one, Thanksgiving edition in the morning at 6 a.m. Pacific, which is 9 a.m. Eastern. But, Crow, I also thought it would be nice if you could tease the episode that's coming in between Ken and KL. Don't forget about Howdy. I think that's going to be a refreshing topic for everyone. Okay, hold on. Let me zero my mind back in. Um, what are, what are we... Which one was that? History that we is just a lie covered? agreed upon. The world fair. Oh, that's right. Right. Okay. Sorry. It took me a minute to get back. That's that's a big episode for me yeah. because we have a guy on who's researched the world fairs. The world fairs are about the biggest fingerprint um, in time that's been left behind. And there's so many things. I, I can't even start to cover them. Unfortunately, most people are only aware of the world fairs through that recently bestseller book uh devil in the white city or whatever it is actually i was talking with owen benjamin and he had read it um and i had read it and i began to realize that's really what most people think of the world fairs but the level of technology that was being employed way back then and this is right before the civil war or i mean world war one kicks off so from the middle of the 1800s supposedly right around the time of the end of the civil war we start getting all these world fairs and this amazing building and tech Think of Tony Stark's dad showing you a hover car. What's that about? Um, I know it's a movie, but I'm making a point. And all of a sudden we get up and they just end uh, with the exposition in San Diego, which is going on the same time as the expedition in San Francisco. And by the way, this is less than 10 years after the great, great quake supposedly levels the city. But I liken these to the precursor to what we see in the Olympics now. It's the same group of people, the same power players. But there is a hell of a tale, and we barely scratched the surface. And there, this is not the mud flood thing, by the way. This is a, a much more scientific approach to the whole concept, like the, everything. This is not the the, the shooting from the hip concepts that the mud flood entails. Because, uh, you know, as interesting as that sounds, I'm pretty sure the mud flood thing is just science fiction. Uh, sorry for you guys that are well, into it. But. There, there's a problem, though, Jason. Let's be honest about it. The, the evidences in that community are such critically important evidences. And I think it's like all the communities that pick up steam online. People come and they mislead and they do it in a very effective way. I've seen it in every group that's came online. And now you know why I don't join groups and why I'm basically a hermit, my own guy. Because when the lunar wave started, it happened there too. And I saw it coming. Point is um, that Howdy does a very good job of not making claims. Um, and he does make a few opinions, but he makes it, you know, I'm, he tells you, I'm, my best guess is this. Um, but it's fascinating. The World Fairs, matter of fact, if I was going to throw everything else aside I'm interested in, uh, the World Fairs might be enough to get my attention because um, you could do some incredible work looking at the expositions and fairs. 
Well, there seems to be something there. Uh, Howdy did some incredible work, and it was a great discussion. I'm sure we'll have him back because uh, one of our mutual favorite subjects is definitely the alternative history concepts because we really just don't know. I mean, more than a, f- a few years back, a few decades back, who the hell knows what really did happen? It, it's it's obvious that things can be obscured if an effort is put in there. What I'm sure you agree, right? Well. The- yeah, he even showed um, that there were instances of the open examples of a more righteous system of normal human beings being converted into the death system. At one of the World's Fairs, they had this big music hall um, with this beautiful dome, and apparently a president, get this, gets assassinated in that dome. Now, the other thing about the World Fairs is they demolish almost every building ever built, with the exception, as far as we can tell, uh, in San Diego, Balboa Park is left from the exhibition, which is filmed in Citizen Kane, and I grew up going there. All the buildings are beautiful, but in most places, one or two, maybe one or two are left, but this building that was for positive things, music, gets a president fake assassinated, because I'm making that assumption, because I will always make that assumption, um, and then they take the dome, and they put it where was it? A, it was a a, an insane asylum and then a tuberculosis house or something like that. Yeah, possibly. So you yeah. can see the total conversion of music and beauty being converted into death ideas. All right, that's going to do it. So again, dropping at midnight, part two of the Ken Cousins Gemstone University chat. Uh, he'll definitely be back for at least one more, and uh, I strongly suspect he's got so much info that uh, probably several more af- after that, right? Yeah, and not only that, by the time KL gets in the door again, um, he's given up the goods. We have the documents that we're going to hand out to membership, and and we're not trying to be elitist. Here's the problem. If we post anything in public anymore, we get deluged. The the number of emails alone is more – I mean, we're talking thousands a day it could be for me. Um, So the documents are going to go through membership only, and the email that he's offering is for membership only, and that is solely – and I will say it again, solely about volume. It's the only way we can try to limit things to be, you know, that can get handled in some way. Um, people have no idea what goes on when we do a thing in public. All right, that's going to do it. Thanks, everybody. If you happen to do it, this kind of thing, happy Thanksgiving. Take care.